The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Welcome to November. My goodness. Um, I don't know if October actually happened or if it's just something we thought about. Um, I don't know if it was different for you in your neighborhoods with trick-or-treaters or, you know, maybe some of you would normally show up to the Grove Church because we'd normally throw this small little party called the Carnival. Um, so it was a little different this year for me as well and my family. Uh, and so it, it's, I got a picture I want to show us here in a minute, but before I do that, I want to make sure that you know we're, in Philipp- we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 today. So if you brought your Bibles or your smartphone version app or uh, however you have Scripture in front of you, I would encourage you to do that. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Um, but like I said, it, it was one of those things last night that was a little abnormal for me. I've never in my life uh, gone trick-or-treating. Um, and so I dressed up in a costume and let my kids stay at home and decided, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Um, that'd be weird, right? 36-year-old man. Hi, trick-or-treat. Um, so, but for the first time in my life, and that's not a, a lie. I'm actually serious about that. I uh, went trick-or-treating my family. So this was right before we decided to go out and brave the cold weather. Uh, this picture coming up. Uh, so that's my kiddos. Some of you don't know this. We had a, a daughter, an, another daughter in April of this year. Uh, and this is the first time you're seeing her. So you're welcome for that. Uh, her name is Esther Hope. But my oldest daughter is Abigail. She wanted to be, uh, if you know, the newest Aladdin the, with Will Smith and the casting crew. She wanted to be the speechless Jasmine. So she made sure to get the speechless outfit so she could wear that today. Uh, my son is obsessed with Super Mario and Luigi, and so he wanted to be Luigi. We had another photo with the, the mustache on, but it was a little blurry, so I couldn't show it today because I'm a great photographer. Uh, and then my little girl, Esther Hope, who is now six months old, she was a little ladybug. Um, and there's a thought that I, the reason why I'm showing you this is not just to brag on my family and my amazing wife, Cassandra, who's holding, and she holds our family together. Um, but it's not just to brag about my family, but there's a thought that came to my mind as I was kind of prepping for today, and it's just simply this. We mimic who we watch, Right? And if your parents, you see this more vividly in your children than I think you would have ever imagined. And there's a face that my youngest daughter, Esther Hope, likes to make that I just get confused about. I don't know where it comes from. Uh, and so it's this face that I was feeding her one day, and I finally got a picture of it. It's trying for months is what it feels like. Uh, but this is this face, and I don't get it. Um, she kind of does this little scrunchy nose <laughs> kind of reality. And then one day I remember like, where does that even come from? I don't even get it. And then I looked in the mirror. I was like, oh. Got it. That makes total sense because she gets it from me. Uh, and she watches me, right? She watches my wife. And so she, she gets these images and these faces and these expressions from whom she's watching. And it leads me to a very simple question for you today. Who are you watching so you can mimic them? That's the tension I think we have to wrestle through today because Philippians, Paul does a great job bringing us to a conversation that really is a simple challenge of watch Jesus so you can mimic Jesus. Uh, and so I want to read this passage. I'm reading it from the, the, it's a version that's fairly new to me. Uh, I've seen people post different passages of scripture on their social media platforms uh, from this version called the Passion Translation. Uh, and it's a really, it's really intriguing to me to help undertake a picture of scripture that I'm very familiar with and kind of take a new glance at it. And that's what I want to do today is take this passage and, and kind of read through it. And so I'm going to read through the passage translation. It might sound different or look different than your translation. That's okay. It doesn't mean that the truth doesn't exist in it. So uh, it says this. Paul's writing a church in Philippi, and he says this. Look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. Quick side note. When we say Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one. So we're saying that Jesus is the anointed one. So that's what Paul's saying there. He's referring to Christ as the anointed one, which is the actual translation there. Uh, So look how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with this comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship 
with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, with one passion, and united in love, one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. He says this in verse 3, be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Do not allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And then finally, verse 5, which I want to spend a lot of time in today, it says this, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Let's pray today for God's word. Lord, we thank you for today. God, in the midst of a week that for some and for all of us really is polarizing, is very discouraging at times, but even maybe hopeful, Lord, I thank you today we choose to put all that aside and focus on you, Jesus. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the one who forged and set the path before us. So Lord, today in your message, as you've challenged us through the words of Paul, God, I pray that we would be able to consider you, Jesus, that you would become our motivation and the way we live would be in response to knowing more about you. So we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for your word. Would you help us today to hear clearly and to respond appropriately in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A few things to know about the Philippian church. It is relatively a healthy church, which means they're pretty much keeping the main thing the main thing. They're keeping Jesus at the center of their conversations, at the center of their behaviors, at the center of their the methodologies and philosophies. They're keeping Jesus priority, number one. In the midst of a very secular culture, they're able to stay together and unified in this conversation. So Paul is writing to a very healthy church. It is also a church that he loves deeply. He loves genuinely, like he calls them my friends. And it's not just a, a generic term, but it's an intentional word that Paul uses to describe his, this church that he's writing to. And he starts off in verse one to says, remember you are filled, remember the encouragement you had with Jesus, where you were filled with overflowing love and mercy, where you experienced this deep affection. And I love it because for you and I today, it calls us to stop to think about for a second, if we consider this properly, what was it like when I first met Jesus? When I first engaged and encountered his truth, his love, his mercy, that caused me to live differently. It caused me to walk differently. It actually caused me to think less of myself and more of Jesus to where I couldn't help but love people better than if it was in my own strength. Paul is urging and reminding his people, his audience, to remember the impact of Christ on their lives personally. And I think the same is for you and I today. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember how it has changed the way you live your life. Remember, and please don't forget. He doesn't stop there. He says, in light of that, I'm asking you, my friends, to be unified, be joined together in perfect unity. With one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you'll fill my heart with unbounded joy. And I think the beauty of this passage is it's, it is such an incredible picture of the church today, where the only thing that unites us, let's just be honest for a second, is Jesus. Our stories, our, our experiences, our histories, our, our genealogies, 
Our beliefs, our ideologies, our philosophies on life, our worldviews are all different until we meet Jesus, and then all of a sudden, he's what unites us. You take it a little bit further for a second. Some of you don't know this. Some of you do know this. I'm not a Seahawks fan. But yet I'm still, having been on this staff with Pastor Nick for eight years now, because it's not a matter of my team preference, but because we have a common ground in unity about Jesus. He's what transformed our lives. See, we can disagree on who's the best sports team, and let's be honest, so I'm just going to agree with you. Seahawks are much better than Cowboys right now, okay? I'm not going to argue that at all. And, there, and there's no, like, you can try and trash and dog me all you want. I'm like, yep, you're right. Cowboys are garbage this year. And maybe, maybe Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones will hear this and, and understand, like, I'm a diehard Cowboys fan, and I can't look at the Cowboys and be like, man, this is such a great season. But the beauty of what Paul is saying is that you don't have to have the same exact ideas and philosophies because what unifies you is Jesus. What unifies us is Christ. It's such a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. It's such a powerful demonstration that it doesn't, we, we can be so diverse and so different but still in alignment and agreement because of the, what Christ brings to our lives. He is the unifier, Period. So Paul reminds them, hey, remember what Jesus has done for you? Because he's the one that unifies you. Dare I say, one of the, 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 the tone that Paul's taking is to fight for unity among the family of God. Fight for unity. Doesn't mean you can't disagree, but fight for unity. Because our goal is to honor and glorify Jesus. He continues on in verses 3 and 4. And he doesn't just say, hey, remember Jesus and how he's transformed your life, but he's also saying fight for unity. Then he's saying be aware of what can cause divisions among you. Verses 3 through 4, he says, be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but an authentic humility. Put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. He's showing you and I the value of being aware. He's showing you and I that it's not good enough to think Jesus changed my life and I'm good with that and I'm a part of a church family, therefore I'm unified. He's saying fight for unity by being aware of what creates division among you. He breaks it down very simply. Pride-filled opinions, self-promotion, selfishness, and your own interests. And here's the truth. This is so easy to do. That's actually a lie. It's not easy at all. Paul is saying, listen, you're a healthy church. I love you. I believe in you. Remember Jesus. Don't forget. Fight for unity. But remember, there's room for divisions if you're not careful. In a healthy family, there's still plenty of opportunities for division, right? Your family can be the most healthy dynamics, banter, love, care, concern, but then there's still room for divisions. I can't believe my mom would say that. My mom, my mom doesn't believe me. There's still room for division. It reminds me of as I was studying, I've been reading through the book of Hebrews on my own, and there's a story that was said in the commentary by a guy named Kent Hughes. Um, I, lo I love the way he communicates and the way he kind of unpacks some scripture. Uh, but one of the stories that he brought up was a, a Dallas area church this is, to be, this is said to be a true story. I've tried to find the validity and, and the actual articles and things that it refers to, but I can't find them on Google, which is one of the few things Google can't tell me. But I remember reading the story, and it, was, it, was bro broken. it broke my heart if it's true. 
If it's not, it's still truth to be wrestled through. And he writes about this church in Dallas area that was a, a decent church, but then all of a sudden there was this division that cr- was created. One half of, of the church went against the other half, and there was this feud and this, almost this war, that, this fight that broke out, where that one half took the other half to court to try and get them to be ev- evicted from the premises. They were like a leave now or forever hold your peace, like get out of here. And there, the moment that the court heard it said, no, no we're not going to touch this, they sent it back to the, denom- the denominational court, which is the, the, the overarching governmental structure of that church. Sent it back to the denominational court, and the denominational court ended up uh, uh, ruling inside of one side. So the other part had to vacate. This story broke out. Some news outlets got a hold of it. Apparently, this was years ago, I guess. And it all whittled down to this moment at a, like a church potluck where everyone kind of brings a meal and everyone kind of hangs out as a big family and eats a meal together and, and has some good relationship and fun. That this moment, there was an elder in the church, a leader within the church, sat next to a young boy and saw on his plate, this young boy's plate, there was a bigger slice of ham than was on his plate. This elder got offended and, and, and annoyed and was prideful to the point, like, He's got a bigger piece of him, and I'm more important than this, this little boy. Which led to the entire church splitting and the court ruling in favor, the denominational court ruling in favor to remove the other people. Whether that's true or not, my heart is broken if it is. If it's not true, praise God for that, but there's something to be said about how easy it is for you and I to get consumed with pride-filled opinions, with self-interest, with my own priorities. And, and desires. And the reality is, Paul is reminding this church in Philippi, in Philippi, Philippia, Philippi, to remember what Jesus has done for you. Because you know what happens when we remember Jesus? We realize it, it can't be about me. It means I'm a benefactor. I, I receive blessing from God's work through his son Jesus, so I can be a part of the family, not because of my lineage and not because of what I've earned. When I remember Jesus, it reminds me you and I today are all in the same boat. No one in this room is better than the other. We're all here by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works. Now, works are a big part of grace and a response to grace, but it's not by works that you're saved. You're part of the family of God because of grace. Because of what Jesus has done for me and for you, fight for unity is what Paul's saying. Fight for the purpose of remembering and honoring Jesus in the world we live in. But be aware of what can create division among you. How do you and I do this? And this is where I want to spend the most time for the last few moments we have together. Verse 5 says, And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. And let his mindset become your motivation." How do you and I continue to follow Jesus, to honor Jesus, to love one another well, to love the world he's called us to lead and love and influence? By verse 5, considering Jesus. The idea in the picture of this word consider is not just a word where you and I get to flippantly pass over, but it requires deep engagement with the thought. When you consider something, you're not just patronizing it by checking it off and moving on. Even now as I'm talking, you're considering what I'm saying, which then should lead to some action moving forward. Paul is saying, consider, think on, 
chew on, meditate on, let it take to the deepest part of who you are, the center of your being. Don't just glance over and be like, yeah, that's a good thought. You know, I'm going to tweet that. That's a really good statement. I'm going to double tap that Insta story because I love it. It means that we're taking what is being said, we're taking what is in, in the focus and the priority, and we're beginning to let it take its root in me. What are we supposed to consider? Not the words I'm speaking. It says we are to consider the example that Aaron has set before you. No, please don't take my example. I'm a broken sinner looking for grace every day of my life. And I want to strive to, as a leader and an influence in the church and the world around me, to follow, that I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's my pursuit, is that I would honor Jesus in a way that you could follow in step with me. But it's not about me, it's about him. Paul is saying, consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one. When we consider the example of Jesus, it means we attentively, intentionally, and diligently watch and read and understand the call that Jesus models. And I want to be very clear here for a second because I think it's important to hear this. We must be careful not to read into Jesus' life, his model, our culture, our context, and our present realities. What we must do as diligent followers of Jesus is understand and examine Jesus' life, his methods, his, his, his motivations. And as we understand them, then apply them to our context, then apply them to our culture, then apply them to our realities. Far too often is it too easy for you and for me especially to read my current reality into the life of Jesus. Well, Jesus, if you were here, you would do this because look at this and this and this. When Jesus' motivation can sometimes be quite the opposite. See, if I ask the question, what was Jesus' motivation? We find in John 10, 10, he says that I come so I may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says abundant life and life abundantly. If Jesus' motivation is for the life of humanity, is for the life of people, then that, as we examine that, should be our motivation in our interactions, in our posts, in our day-to-day rhythms. God, how do I help people know they are loved, they are seen, that they belong because of you, Jesus? Because that's the motivation I want to model and honor. See, I think sometimes we get really comfortable where we're good with watching from a distance. Jesus is not concerned with your watching. He's not calling us to a spectatorship disposition where we sit back and observe what's going on. Jesus never said, come watch me. Watch me whip. Now watch me nay-nay. I just want you to have this song stuck in your head the rest of the day. You're welcome. (laughs) Jesus never said, now watch me. Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus said, take every step. Take every journey with me. As I walk into the courts where there was a bunch of sick and, and, and disabled people, watch me walk and interact with them. Watch me right in the dirt as someone is caught in the act of adultery. Watch how I respond to them. Watch me and follow me so you can learn. Jesus is concerned with our following more than our watching. But it's far easier to watch. 
so much easier. When I tell my kids to watch my daughter, because she's six months old and she's crawling around like crazy, if they're not focused and attentive, you know what's going to happen? We don't know where my daughter's going to be. Just the other day, I think it was yesterday, I was putting some stuff away. I'm not joking you when I tell you. I came around the corner like, where did, where did Esther go? Hey, babe, do you have Esther? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, please tell me you have Esther. Because if not, she's in the garage somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I took her upstairs. I'm like, oh, thank, thank you, Lord. But if my kids aren't focusing, if I'm not focusing on Jesus, I don't know the path he would take in a certain situation. Let his motivation become your mindset. His motivation was to love, was to speak truth, to walk in grace with every person he interacted with. I don't know all the answers to questions that come up. But what I do know is that Jesus is all about loving in grace and truth and a full measure of both, not half and half. It's a full measure of both. As I examine Jesus' life, I'm called to honor him faithfully, to model and mimic his behavior because I'm called to watch him. And if he makes this face, then I want to make this face. Because my heart is to mimic the one I'm supposed to be watching. Paul is reminding a very healthy church of strong followers to not forget and remember Jesus and what he's done in their lives personally. He's telling them in light of that to fight for the unity that keeps us as a beautiful expression of humanity. To fight for that unity, to honor, to love Jesus well so the world would know. He even says to his disciples, they will know you're my followers by the way you love one another. It's not just talking outside this building, it's talking inside the building. Fight for unity because of what Christ says and be on guard against the things that will create divisions among you. And we do that by considering the example that Jesus has left for us. And we let that mindset become our motivation. Here's my question today. How's your motivation? Is it like Jesus' mindset? Or is it kind of convoluted and distracted? In a world that we live in right now, that's all about pulling our attention and our focus off of Jesus, I'm thankful for moments like this where we can sing a song and sing songs that draw our attention and our heart back to the Lord, that draws back and saying, God, you are faithful. Here's what I would challenge you to do today and this week. Set up yourself in an environment that will help you stay focused with what matters most, and that's the example Jesus set before us. Maybe for the first time you need to go and download the song, the, the, it's called, I think it's called the uh, Song of Ascent. Maybe you need to download one of the songs, the I Exalt Thee. Maybe you need to download the song, I'll Raise a Hallelujah. Because this week we've got to be more intentional and more engaged in keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus so we can mimic his behavior. So how are you doing today? Because here's what I know. It's not just going to happen today. What I mean by that is I'm, I can't just consider Jesus today and be like, I'm good. Locked in. Thanks for the message. 
But I know today when I go home, well, my tendency is I want to sit back and just relax because it's been a long day, not in a bad sense, but it's just been a long day. That I know I need to be more engaged with my kids and my family than I've ever been before because it's not about me. That tonight when the Cowboys lose, because I guarantee they're going to lose, that I realize it's not about what I feel in the moment, but that I want Jesus to be my motivation, so I'm going to engage differently. I might not even watch the game tonight because I get kind of grumpy sometimes because that's my team. They stink. It's still my team. I jokingly texted Pastor Nick a couple weeks back and just said, is this what it's like to be a Mariners fan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where do you need to stop and reconsider Jesus? Because it's going to happen today at lunch. It's going to happen tonight before bed. It's going to happen first thing when you wake up. It's going to happen tomorrow with that coworker in that Zoom meeting, in that distance learning with that teacher, with your own kids, with your grandkids. It is a daily moment by moment discipline that I'm asking and calling you to join me in. Because to do and be who God has called me and us to do and be, it requires that we let his mindset become my motivation and your motivation. I wanna pray for you today. Lord, you are faithful, you are loving, you are kind, you are gracious. And Lord, I thank you today for who you are. Jesus, thank you for your model. Thank you for your example that you set before us. Lord, even as I know it's not gonna be easy because you say in your word to deny ourselves, to pick up our crosses and follow you. Lord, today I pray you would give me a greater understanding of you so I could follow you step by step. Lord, that's my heart. That's, I believe, our heart as a church family is to honor you, to love you, to be more like you today than I was yesterday, more like you tomorrow than I was today. And today can be kind of easy because we're gathering together. But Lord, I pray you would continually remind me and remind us of this truth, that you, Jesus, and the example you set would become my motivation. I thank you today for your love and for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.